Girl, we are like one week into our Patreon and it is going so well. You know what? There are some really terrible people in this world. Yeah. Our listeners are, are not, not any of them. No. No, you guys, I want to say, first of all, thank you so thank much you. to everybody who has, who has signed up. I wanted to tell you, we have, we have started to figure out a little bit more about the Patreon and what, what's happening. Right. So here's here's the deal. We Like we said, for $5 a month, we're going to upload at least one original full episode every month. And then like a bunch of mini episodes about our lives, about funny things that happen to us, about, you know, whatever. We have already, we have a bunch of those loaded. One about like a bad day that you and I both had. We just recorded a bad day off. <laughs> we one before that is about the us hanging out with Lynn Manuel Miranda in the green room at BroadwayCon. One is just me laughing hysterically, at literally a joke. on the floor yeah. laughing. So these are like mini episodes. Um, all of these you can get as pot as a podcast in our new Patreon TCO feed, or you can just stream it on the website. And we'll also be including a ton of like episodes of us watching like pieces of unsolved mysteries and just talking about it. You guys, that's video. <laughs> I know. Yeah, video content. We just recorded our first one, and it's bonkers. Yes, you guys. <laughs> I forgot like how one scary Unsolved Mysteries was and it's just right back into like I, sh- I don't want to be watching this it's anymore. It's so scary and part of what's so scary about it is the human corpse that is Robert Stack. Mm. He's a human corpse. Yeah. I a- mean it's unreal. That's, that's, this is a weekend at Bernie's. That man is not alive. It's equal parts scary and hilarious with those reenactments. <laughs> I can't. They're so good. So the idea is we're just we are building this whole online Patreon community of like bonus stuff for our awesome listeners and for five bucks a month you get to have access to it all. Oh and you guys the thing about the bonus episode is that um, we are going to be off for the next two weeks. Please don't be angry. It's yep. been on the calendar for a long time. Yep. I'm going to London, and uh, Steve and I are going to check in as a bonus episode on the Patreon uh, podcast feed. So look for Fun. that. But in the meantime, if you can't go without us for two weeks, and who can blame you, <laughs> um, our first full bonus episode about the Queen of Versailles will be up this week. Amazing. If, if, if it's not up by the time you hear this, it'll be up in the next day or two. Yeah. So it'll be up this week. You will have one full bonus episode which you can find on the Patreon group. Amazing. Yeah, so go check it out. You can find it on our website, truecrimeobsessed.com. There's a link in the upper right corner or just go to patreon.com and search for True Crime Obsessed Podcast and join us, you guys. It's so much fun. All right, now to the show. Jillian Pensavale. Patrick Hines. Ooh. <laughs> Every week you surprise me. What's it going to be next week? <laughs> It'll be like a full-on Lin-Manuel Miranda rap. Oh, great. Um, Girl, what are we talking about this week? We're talking about Aileen, the Ugh. life and death of a serial killer. And also like the many Dilfy incarnations of Nick Broomfield. Do you agree that his voiceovers are always like he's too busy for this shit, but he made the documentary? <laughs> his voiceovers are always like, so now I'm back with Aileen. I'm like, Nick, you didn't have to do this. I'm like, oh, there's there's that familiar bored voiceover again. This is definitely a Nick Broomfield production. I never provoked those guys. It's very nice, very ladylike. I didn't even swear in front of my clients. I had no intentions of killing anyone. I'm not that type of person. I want to tell you something about her birth. I thought that she got some kind of brain damage. I defended myself, which everybody has a right to do. If I could do it all over again, I would have became an outstanding citizen of America. I sentence you to death for the murder of David Spears. I'll be up in heaven while y'all are rotten in hell. Wife and kids get raped. My evil happened to come out because of circumstances. She's been failed by the legal system. Cops knew who I was and they covered it up. 
to turn me into a serial killer. They want to turn him into high-profile cases for books and movies. We're executing a person who's mad. I believe in the death penalty and I have a duty to implement the law. Eileen, <laughs> life and death of a serial killer. Thanks a lot, Society, for railroading my ass. So we start driving down this like so Nick Broomfield dirt road <laughs> where it's like, are you driving and holding the camera? Probably. Um, and we're like in Florida off I off I-75, <laughs> says Nick, like totally over it already. It was here in these woods off Florida's I-75 that in the space of one year, the police found the bodies of seven men. They were killed with this gun, a high standard double nine point twenty two. They were all killed with a high standard double nine twenty two, and in my notes I wrote, whatever the hell that means. <laughs> what happened is that Nick Broomfield had made a, a documentary about Eileen Warnos years ago called The Selling of a Serial Killer. Mm-hmm. So yes. he knows Eileen Warnos, he has a history with her, and he will find out in a minute, like has been summoned back to the United States to be <laughs> Just the look on your face. Did you guys hear that? That was the eye roll. Did you hear it? I, I don't know. know if it translates. He kind to of wants medium. it to be an adventure movie. It's a little bit weird. It's like getting the band back together is kind of like his idea of what this movie is. Right. Like, let's get the band back together about this person who killed people and is on death row. Like, I know. Oh, it's Nick. terrible. So basically what's happening is that Nick Broomfield is giving us like the recounting of like what of what we already know about Aileen Warnos. Eight men have been shot to death in cold blood on Central Florida highways, including the busy tourist route of I-75. But this time, there's an even more chilling twist to the slain. Police say for the first time in criminal history, these killers may be murdering with a feminine touch. On January the 9th, 1991, Eileen Carol Warnos was arrested in Daytona Beach, Florida. She worked as a hitchhiking hooker. And we, so we see some of the families that have been like affected. The victims' families. I wish people could just see your face. I don't know why I'm super eye rolling today. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. I just have to quickly mention Shirley Humphreys, who says, I hope she makes up with, quote, old Sparky. And, she, and then she pauses and she's like, You know who old Sparky is. You know who old Sparky is. <laughs> You know, I'm not laughing at the dead. Like, it's horrible that all these men are dead. It's horrible that Aileen had a horrible life. But you guys, some of this is going to be funny. Yeah. And it's also a little I just can I just go back to Nick for just a minute? Please. Always. How many times does he call her a hitchhiking hooker? (laughs) I know. No less than 24. We get it, Nick. We know what she did for a living. A hitchhiking. Yeah. Hooker. Yes, for anybody who doesn't know, Nick Broomfield directed The Curtain Courtney, which is like our episode three or four or something. So we have a, we have a history with Nick Broomfield. And it's the same, like it just feels the same, like not the best video quality. Yeah. Everything's super handheld. There's a lot of conversations that take place where people like aren't totally aware that they're being recorded. It's all just, it's this is super Nick Broomfield. Yeah, it's very Broomfield. So we start off off and running with this uh, this video of her original confession. Yes. We can't play any of it because the audio is awful. But like, yeah. she basically came, she, get, she got arrested and then she basically confesses to everything. Yeah, and she says that it was all in self-defense and she said she wishes she never had the gun. She wishes she was never a hooker, her words. Right. She wishes she never did any of it. And she is saying that these men, all seven men, right now, Aileen's story is during this confession that all seven men were very abusive to her. They were her Johns, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were all very abusive to her or tried to be very abusive to her, which happens in sex worker industry all All the time. The time. Especially like South Florida side of the road. Hitchhiking. Like like, sex in a car in the woods. I mean, that's what was happening. It's like, it's horrible. The idea of it is 
absolutely terrible. Right, yeah. Um, so she is basically saying every every working girl's worst fears yeah. were happening to her. So she had to kill these men. And she had a gun in her bag and she killed these men. You come to understand right away that there's definitely mental health issues here. Uh, yeah. And then we just are immediately hearing the other sides of it. Terry Humphrey's father was a retired police chief. There wasn't any sex involved in my dad's murder. They cut him. They did an autopsy on my dad. They wouldn't release his body for over a week. They cut him from stem to stern. There wasn't any semen there anywhere. And you, you don't know what's real. You don't know what's true, you know. But the, the one thing that he says is that his first film ended with the resignation of the Florida police officers. There was like this whole conspiracy. My old film had ended with this announcement of the resignation of Florida police officers who had illicitly entered into Hollywood movie deals to sell the story of America's first female serial killer, the Eileen Warnos story. There was speculation at the time that if police officers did in fact receive money, all Eileen Warnos's death sentences could be overturned. Nick is talking about how over the years since that movie came out, he's kept in touch with her. And then one day he opens his door and he's been, he's been given a subpoena. And then a few weeks ago, I opened my front door and to my amazement was served with a subpoena to attend Eileen's final appeal before execution. I had no idea how things would turn out and that I'll be witnessing an execution in one and a half years' time. Again, this is the point in the movie where, like, all of the people who are who are in this trial are, like, descending on this hotel. Oh and it literally is Nick Broomfield's, like, getting the band back together movie. We're like, it's like he's seeing all of his friends again. Well, one person would not call Nick a friend. <laughs> that person's name is Dr. Legal. <laughs> Also known as Steve, or as Nick so brilliantly describes him, Steve the lawyer. <laughs> Just to be clear, Dr. Legal was the person who represented her in her first original trial. And we'll find out later, he was hired by her like fake adopted, like born-again Christian adoptive mother. I can't person. wait to get into that. Me too. But like, he's a hack, she's a hack, and he was awful. Right. First, we meet Aileen's new lawyer, mm-hmm. Joe Hobson, who's like a real attorney. Basically, we're getting the rundown about how like Aileen did not get a fair trial mm-hmm. and that that the whole uh, the whole point of this appeal is to try to get a new trial right because you're telling me steve the lawyer aka dr legal didn't do right by his client do you want to know so there's this commercial right that they play oh my god which is basically like better call saul it really is only real and not bob odenkirk so it's not awesome yeah most of us will probably never worry about spending time in jail but if you are ever involved in the criminal justice system you will need a lawyer who- would you like to know what the fine print is because i paused it and yes, that shit please. down. The hiring of a lawyer is an important decision that should not be based solely on advertisements. <laughs> Before you decide, ask me to send you free written information about my qualifications and experience. <laughs> I love that you paused to read the fine print. Are you kidding? Of course. I was like, this is going to be great. <laughs> it reminded me of of tablo- of like reading the, the one yes, ads in tabloid. I was yes, like, come on, this could be a gem. <laughs> This could be great. No one reads the fine print. That's why we do this, you guys. That's why we're here doing this podcast. So now we're in court. And first of all, Nick had featured Dr. Legal heavily in his first movie. Right. And we find out that this guy, Steve, the lawyer, Dr. Whatever, Dr. Lawyer, whatever, had been like run out of town. Because, like, it was so bad. Yeah, and it was very obvious. He didn't try. He just pled guilty. He didn't investigate. He, like, wanted her to be put to death because that's a more sensational story. Steve, the lawyer, had made no attempt to investigate the cops. He pled guilty to all the murders and didn't even try and make a deal for lesser sentence. Eileen had no money to pay him, so Steve used the money obtained from interview fees. 
But so Nick sees him in the courtroom. Oh, this is so good. <laughs> you guys, and this is only like less than 10 minutes into the movie. I know, already. So you're just like, off oh, and running. man. I know. <laughs> Here we go. Mm, this is going to be a good one. I have like nine pages of notes for this movie. <laughs> So Steve does not see Nick. Nick goes over to Steve, like mm-hmm. taps him on the shoulder. This is the first time I've seen Steve for 11 years. And what, is, what does Steve say to him? Fuck you. And fuck the queen. Fuck the queen. <laughs> fuck you. What? Fuck you. Oh, hey. Fuck you and the queen. <laughs> and the queen. Fuck, what you, are you, fuck you and your ducky, buddy. Well, nice Don't you talk and... to me. What? Don't talk to me. So let me, can I just paint the picture if you guys have, because I know some of you don't watch the documentaries, which is totally fine and you don't have to. Yeah, you absolutely don't have to. Let's just paint a picture of Steve (laughs) the lawyer. So he is wearing a Pink Floyd tie. It's the dark side of the moon Pink Floyd tie. He's a lawyer. He has this Bob Ross looking haircut that at first I was like, is that like a fake disco wig? Is that a fake wig? There's no way that's real. It's just this big, like Bob Ross is the only way to describe it. It's true. I texted that to you. Yeah. Yeah. And then he's just like a schlub. He's just like, where's the, schlub. like, Nick, where's the derpy music? I know. And like, he pretends to be mad at Nick for two seconds. And then he's like, oh, then they're best friends again. Because he's like, oh, is there a camera here? Right. Are we doing, are we <laughs> awesome? Sweet. Good to be in another movie. Right. So then Steve has to take the stand. Steve, the lawyer, takes, takes the, the stand. stand. So Steve is on the stand. This is so ridiculous. <laughs> So basically, the big question is, did Steve, the lawyer, try to charge Nick Broomfield $25,000 for an interview with Aileen? Right. Steve is like, nope, (laughs) not at all. Will you admit that you are depicted on the movie, The Selling of a Serial Killer, doing exactly that, trying to get $25,000 for an interview? I don't think there's any evidence that I tried to get $25,000 or anything. Jump cut to Nick's first movie where there's literally money being exchanged. Nick, wait a second. What's Davy Crockett doing on a $100 bill? Thank, thank you very much. Okay, now this is also where we meet this awful, awful, awful woman. Her name is Arlene Prowley. Oh. Who it was like, she's very heavily featured in the first movie. Like she's like Aileen's conservative Christian, a quote, adoptive mother. She saw Aileen's story in the newspaper and, like, adopted her through the mail. Like, it's just ridiculous. And the whole idea is that she, like, has a farm where she raises she-wolves and, like, and Aileen was going to get out of jail and go live with her and, like, raise... It's just, it's a nightmare. But this woman is totally taking advantage of Aileen. Right. Aileen Prowley, the born-again Christian, hired Steve and persuaded Aileen to come clean with God and plead guilty. Steve had been advised that Aileen was paranoid and suffered from borderline personality disorder but still went along with his cockeyed scheme. I forgot the garbage bell. Oh my God. I can't believe I forgot the garbage bell. Oh my God. It was sitting right here. You know what I just feel like? What? I feel like like Winifred in um, Hocus Pocus where she's like, book, <laughs> just summoning the garbage bell. <laughs> it's just floating. <laughs> That's my favorite movie. Okay, girl, are you ready? Arlene Prowley. Can I just, can I just like make this explode? Yeah. She's such a fucking nightmare. But not for the she-wolves. Right. No. That's like, it's kind of a cool, I'm like, oh, what? Oh, no. And then I'm like, focus, focus, like, not the point. She- she-wolves are a real thing. That just sounds like right out of like Pocahontas. They're just hybrid dogs. I mean, I guess you can't, first of all, you can't breed she-wolves without a male dog, everybody. Okay. I don't care how Christian you are. You can't just pray a wolf into existence. Because if you can, I would have done it already. So let's just get that out of the way right now. But there are these things like wolf dogs. And in Florida, there are like no laws about anything. So like, 
like they're legal you can like breed them so that you like breed wolves and dogs together it's a terrible idea because then you have a wolf dog in your house who doesn't know how to be domesticated and is like ripping up your couch for fun and trying to eat your small children can we just go back to there are no rules in florida about anything they're real i mean tell me i'm wrong what's the rule in florida (laughs) oh my god Uh. So the whole thing is that, so we see Nick in the first movie, like, negotiating, saying, like, I don't, we don't have $25,000. And they're, like, joking about, like, well, haha, should there be a counteroffer? Haha. And then, like, Steve, the lawyer, is like, yes, there should be a counteroffer. So the next stage is really to come up with a counteroffer. No, the next stage is coming with twenty five thousand dollars. Right. But okay, okay. Well, then, 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 well, then do if you don't, then the next offer. thing to do is to really get a counter offer. And, let's and he's then, like, and the only offer is that you just give me the twenty five thousand dollars. Like, it, Steve, right. the lawyer says, I want you to pay me twenty five thousand dollars. But then like 10 the times. mom, the the fake adopted mom, no. chimes in and she explains how this all works. So we would basically then pay the money to, well, we pay money to you or to, as as. As her legal. As her mom, and then um, Steve gets a percentage as our agent. For being our agent. I was like, our. (laughs) No, 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 no. That's so not how this works. I know, I know, I know. But then Nick has this whole thing about how, like, he always liked Steve. I have to say, I always liked Steve. He was an old hippie from Micanopy who was just way out of his depth. He's defending him. Steve is one of the cast of characters. He's staying at the hotel. Like, he, we're going to see a lot of Steve in this movie. Mm. Great. So th- one of the next people that we meet staying at the hotel is ho- this, like, horrible woman, Dawn, who's Aileen's best friend. Does she have eyebrows? <laughs> Are they super thin, or did she just paint them on, or, like, pencil them in? Don, here's my conflicting feelings about Dawn. This was in the Facebook group. People were like, please ring the bell for Dawn, thinking that gay people were invented 15 years ago. Right. I don't even know how this comes up in conversation, Obviously, Aileen was dating a woman, uh-huh. and Aileen is Don's best friend, so I'm assuming it came up that way. But they're in. Okay, this scene. And Don's is- gay. <laughs> That's how it came up. Because Nick's like, so, like, were you jealous because you're also in love with Aileen? Like, oh what? Oh, my God. They're in the hotel room, and Don goes on this, makes this diatribe about how, like, gays didn't exist until, like, 10, 15 years ago. And then she's like, maybe, maybe, like, more than 15. They weren't invented or whatever. There was no gay people. Well, what were they all doing? They weren't gay. There was no such thing as gay. They were in the closet. No, they weren't. There was no such thing. I don't remember a person at school gay. She keeps associating gay people with being in school. Like She's like, there were no gay people when I was in school. Did you go to school with gay people? Like, What does school have to do with it? It is the way that she's saying the word. The, the word is, it's like she's spitting the word yeah. out. It's very Mr. Becky. Mm. <laughs> gay, gay people, gay, 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 gay stuff. And so... Finally, Nick says, I'm sure that there probably were. I went to a British public school. There were many. Was That's where it was invented. Oh, well, of course. There, were, there must have been gays. I went to an English public school. That's where they were invented. Did you hear off camera, Don's like, oh, really? She legit believes. Like, she uh, thinks he's being serious. Uh, Don, you idiot. Can we get what? a ding for her? Thank I you. hate her. I know, I hate her too. But then Don comes back around later. I, Don was a very good friend to Aileen and actually I think is a very good friend to Aileen th- throughout. Like she's really there for her. So Maybe we'll argue about that later because okay. I'm not sure how <laughs> good of a friend she's been. All right, we'll get there. So in the middle of all this, everyone taking the stand, yeah. cue Chicago, um, <laughs> there's this footage of Aileen who just keeps being sentenced to death and more charges over and over again. Right. And she is super aggressive 
and just outright terrifying. Okay, there will be an automatic appeal. You have the right to an appeal. Mr. Glazer, is that going to be handled by you May or the public defender? Your wife and kids job? get raped. I would ask that you appoint the public defender's office. I knew I was raped and you weren't nothing but a bunch of scum. Therefore, these proceedings are now Putting somebody who was raped to death on the fucking it's, it's scary. very jarring. And there's there's more of that, you guys. Oh, yo, you guys, we are just getting started. <laughs> Buckle up. So then Nick take Nick Broomfield takes a stand. My favorite thing that he says is I like to flatter myself that I was being asked for my legal opinion. Nick. <laughs> Girl. But it turned out I was there to talk about Steve's marijuana smoking. We're back to Steve, guys. Back to Steve. <sighs> so here's the deal with that. We learn about this like seven joint ride. And this again is from the first movie when right. Steve was representing her. The big question was whether Steve had consumed seven very strong joints before giving Eileen legal advice in prison. So there's this footage of Steve driving the car, and Nick is, of course, handheld camera, zoom, right. like jumpy <laughs> in the car. He loves driving and filming things. Right. It was 6 a.m. Steve said it was a seven joint ride to the prison. And he brought along a tape of his own music with him singing and playing all the instruments, especially for the occasion. And listening to Steve's own cover versions of Pink Floyd, (laughs) where Steve played all the instruments and sang everything. Because why listen to... I don't know what's worse, Pink Floyd or a cover of Pink Floyd. I hate Pink Floyd. So I don't know. Either way, it's a nightmare to me. And Aileen's face when they're playing the music, she's hysterical laughing I'm like girl same and the stupid lawyer is drumming his his fingers on the stand it's like you guys like this Pink Floyd cover band of one it's one dude worse I know it's so it's awful and Steve is just like smoking joints because he says the the ride to the prison to visit Aileen is a seven joint ride right so what what is trying to be proven here is that this seven joint ride didn't actually happen right. because they're trying the, the people against Aileen are saying like you don't get a new trial or this appeal doesn't work because you were fairly represented. Steve did do a good job representing you to the best of his ability. Mm. What he then tries to get Nick to do is explain the job of editing a documentary. Do you mean copying and pasting? Right. Isn't it true that in doing your work you routinely edit? Thanks, correct. Well, you always add it off to it, yeah. Because and editing involves cutting and pasting and putting things together. And Nick's like, I'm not, I do copy, I'm not so sure about the pasting. I don't know about the pasting, but you certainly can't. And Nick, uh, Nick thought that was such a zinger. <laughs> and it is such a lawyer. It's like, does anyone do any research? Like, you just sound like such an out of touch derp to be right. like, so what, y'all are copying and pasting? Like,. <laughs> Are you kidding me? So his whole point, and you guys, they wheel out the VCR, and they they pop in the tape, and they show that Steve, when he's smoking the joint, is wearing one shirt. And then when he's getting out of the car at the jail, he's wearing a different shirt. Mm-hmm. But he had a blue shirt on. And now he's got a white one. he's got a white shirt. And Nick makes the very good point of like, yeah, he was putting on a nice white shirt to go into the courthouse. Wait, it's possible he changed his shirt. I've I've got, maybe he put a a clean white shirt on for the prison visit. Mm -hmm. Like he, you know, he's an idiot lawyer. He was wearing a crappy shirt that smelled like pot. Right. He changed his shirt to go into the, and then it's hilarious because like that kind of trips up the lawyer. And then Broomfield starts to just like go with it. He's like, wouldn't you? If I was making that trip, I would probably change my shirt at the end of the trip. I don't know about you. That, that's not the point of my question, is it? 
I don't know, but I would I would probably bring a clean shirt along for my visit. <coughs> I would. Just it gets it get, goes completely off the rails. Yeah. Also, the funniest thing that happens is when Nick is walking out of the court, he goes to say goodbye to Aileen and he tries to shake her hand. And literally the female bailiff that's like sitting with Aileen, who I swear had been asleep or playing a video game on her phone, all mm. of a sudden is like, no, no. <laughs> this could not get any worse. But yeah, let's just make a handshake awkward. Sure. Sure. All right. So Nick gets a call that while he's in town. With his cameras, Aileen wants to, like, see him. I got a message that Aileen wanted me to come meet her at the local jail. She had something to say. And what happens? Well, first of all, he has to fish a microphone out of her shirt. You guys, the <laughs> awkward moments just keep on coming. It's just... Get it down there, Nick. Get it right. I'm just trying to... Sorry. <laughs> sure. There was a microphone, which is... You know, the... Sorry about that. <laughs> And there's a moment where she like really wants to get what she wants to say out right yeah, and, and yeah, accurately. Yeah. And she does this and ladies with long hair or people with long hair, we've all done this. The yeah. little flip. Yes. You throw your head upside down and then just see for a little bit extra body. Yeah. That's what she does because she really wants it to be perfect. And she makes this statement about how she's concerned for the families of the victims. No remorse. Yeah. She basically absolutely. she says these sentences so fast she just wants to get him out to like yeah. say that she said it i get my hair out of my face while i'm doing this because i'm really concerned about the family members man. so i want to say this again over so then this is where we hear basically that stupid garbage arlene whatever <laughs> of the born like, again christian adopted, fake adopted mother like who adopts someone through the newspaper how do you even somebody do who's that? got twenty five thousand smackers in her eyes again no laws in florida you can just do that you can just like write to dear the dear abby and be like dear abby i wish to adopt that person i saw in the newspaper whatever so this is when you hear like her influence coming in because aileen is saying that she doesn't want to die a liar okay i cannot go in the execution chamber and die in the execution chamber as a liar and i cannot go in the execution chamber and be executed under the devil i have to come clean and cleanse my spirit in the name of jesus christ i killed those seven men in first degree murder and robbery as they said they had it right a serial killer yeah well the big bombshell here in in a sense is that she says that none of them were for self-defense right none of them and nick is like really and it's not and it's not that you just decided that you wanted to die and you wanted to get it over and done with that you changed your story but i heard you know that you just couldn't stand being on death row after 12 years because it used to be all self-defense so what are you talking about no the reason is is it's serious you there's no way and nobody should go in that execution chamber dying on a hope for a lie but there's also like no remorse here from her nick and that this last time i'm gonna say it you have to kill eileen morris because she'll kill again <laughs> why does she talk like that it's so i know i know i know i know scary i know like she doesn't sound like someone who wants to like this sounds like a script to me because it is a script right and we'll get to this later maybe we disagree on this but like what she's decided to do is end all appeals and let the let the death penalty happen she just wants that to happen now right so she's coming she's bringing the story to nick as if like as if bringing it to the media to say get this get the word out there i'm taking it all back i none of this was self-defense it was cold-blooded murder mm-hmm. and 
the, the death penalty should stand. So now we're back in court. Now that Aileen has turned this corner, there were all of these witnesses that were lined up to be sort of character witnesses about how awful her childhood was. And Aileen makes this like this statement to the judge. And um, I've already told my attorneys on numerous occasions, these people did not grow up with me at all. Um, they lived in the neighborhood, but they didn't really associate with me, my brother, my sister, and everybody else. Aileen does not want anything that could possibly prevent the death penalty from happening to happen in court this day. And even the judge is like, no, they can't be witnesses if the if the lawyers know they're lying. Right. That's not, we have one rule in Florida, and that's it. <laughs> or whatever. The attorney can call them, but... He can't put on anyone he thinks is is, uh, is committing perjury. It's unethical for him to do that. He's, if he thinks they're lying, if he knows that they're lying, he can't put them on. Is that garbage bill warmed up? Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. Are you ready for these witnesses? Yup. Danny Caldwell? Yeah. Uh, here's his story. Like oh, many other boys in the neighborhood, he lost his virginity to Aileen. Mm. Let me just say also, the, these stories start when she's very very young like Like nine or ten there's a story that she was trading oral sex for cigarettes when she was nine yeah yeah that's on the stand that's on the record that's horrible horrifying so all of this was happening there she's not losing her virginity when she's 17 years old right and these boys are not this is these are kids in the backwoods of florida or michigan or wherever it is it was michigan yeah Yeah, michigan at the time and it's just it's sickening and disgusting yeah and they're all like playing a part i can't believe they were they didn't ask for like a blurry face are you ready for another one yeah jerry moss Oh, this guy. This guy. This guy. This guy. Just take this away from me. I can't. <laughs> and I will say it, it is a testament to these people now that they're willing to come on the stand to admit to these horrible things that they did mm-hmm. to help her in any way that they can because they feel badly right. where she is. But this guy, this garbage asshole, yeah. has all these stories about how like – she Aileen wanted to be boyfriend girlfriend. He didn't like in public. He pretended like he didn't know her. When when you were in public around other kids, when the rest of the kids were around, how did you treat her? Like she was nobody. Like she was dirt. Like I had nothing to do with her. You know. What would you say to her? Tell her get the fuck out of my face and go some fucking place else. He tells the story about her following him down the street. He would turn and throw rocks at her. If she were following along behind you, what would you do? You'd, uh, depending on who was with me or whatever, but I'd turn around and throw rocks at her and tell her to get the fuck out of there, go home. Why, why would you do that? Because I didn't want to be seen with her. I didn't want to be associated with her. Like, it's so horrible. Yeah. And to hear the person who did it explain it, yeah. it's not like someone was like, and then this guy did this. Like, to hear it come out of his own mouth is just like, right. I hate you. Yeah. I mean, there are so many horrible stories in yeah. this documentary about the abuse that she suffered as a, as a kid. Yeah, absolutely. That. There's a lot of little nuggets that are dropped throughout this, this, this documentary about the actual abuse in her own family that she suffered. For yeah. example, she was raised by a man who was her grandfather, who was maybe her actual biological father. Mm-hmm. Who also molested her and her mother. Like there's and beat them. And beat oh and beat them. It is absolutely excruciating to watch. Yeah, it it really is. Absolutely. So at this point, like Aileen has volunteered for her own execution, and we get to meet Jeb Bush. <laughs> her appeals have been exhausted. She wants to meet her creator. She's on my list, absolutely. 
Governor Jeb Bush is expected to sign Warnos's warrant soon. And Nick, and this is another thing that kind of gets dropped in throughout the rest of the documentary, is that he is running, he's almost up for re-election, Jeb Bush. Yeah. And how politics plays a role in the criminal justice system and especially executions because Jeb Bush was running on a platform of like, Pro, super pro death penalty which is like the weirdest thing to run on. i know florida 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 no rules uh, i believe in the death penalty and i have a duty to implement the law and a great majority of floridians want their governor to do this and- so yeah it's very it just makes total sense that he's like i truly i'm gonna sign this and it's like look at my platform everybody yeah it's just like yeah, really it's gross. horrible it's horrible now nick broomfield realizes he has to make a movie so he like decides he's gonna like he's gonna go to troy michigan where she grew up and basically we spend like 50 15 minutes with Dawn. This is Dawn's house. Hi, Joan. How are you? What is Dawn wearing? A Rod Stewart t shirt. <laughs> Rod, of course, Stewart. It's like twenty years old. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it has that hot pink script that was all the rage back in the late eighties, early nineties. But the thing is, Don. Like this is where you start to see Don being a good friend to Aileen. She's got all of Aileen's stuff, mm-hmm. so she's keeping it for for Aileen, right? And she sort of like she shows Nick all of this, all of these pictures and all of these like pen and ink drawings that Aileen does. I got looking for one thing today, so I figured while I had Aileen's shit out, you can see her for all this. Yeah, and I got lots of pictures of her brothers and stuff like that that you might want to look at. But we also learned that she, and this haunts me kind of, she had a baby when she was 13 that she mm-hmm. gave up for adoption, which means he's out there. He's out there somewhere. Yeah. yeah. But we, it's a turning point in, in Aileen's life when she gives up this kid for adoption because now at 13, having given birth to a kid, she's like the social pariah of the neighborhood. Right. She's, she's totally shunned and she lives in the woods at the end of her street for two years. It's so crazy. And Don and Nick sort of like go into the woods. They like walk into the woods and, and Don is like showing her where Aileen lived. Aileen used to have a fort back here. As a matter of fact. Fort. A fort. Oh, with Dennis. Yeah. Yeah. So Aileen would just sleep rough. Mm-hmm. And like you guys, it's Michigan. It was freezing. She's telling all these stories about like how Aileen would try to like sleep in cars, and that's why she became a hooker. She would either sleep in the cars or she would go around prostituting at night to keep warm, stuff like that. And hopefully, she'd get a hotel. You know, some of these guys would say we'll go get a hotel and she could get a shower. That's how she washed and stuff like that. This is where Dawn is kind of like. I, maybe it's just her personality. I don't know. I just don't like her very much. Yeah, <laughs> but, same, um, same. Oh, please. She says these things where she's talking about how cold it is out there, and Nick's like, oh, my God, how did she survive? And Dawn says this thing where she's like, I don't know. I wasn't out here. Right. Well, it was for her. I didn't come out here in the winter, I'm sure. John, totally. <laughs> you could have helped. I know if yeah. you guys were teenagers, fine, but it seems like they grew up in a, in a time and a place where... 13 is old. Like, you yeah. grew up really fast. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like you might have been able to help her in some way or, or be well, she supportive. She was definitely, like, a good-time friend. Like, she talks about how they would go to the gas station. It's still there, you guys. It's still there. That gas station up there, which is still there, by the way. It used to be the Clark. That's where we used to go in there and pinch our nose and drink, what was it? Peppermint schnapps. Oh. It's disgusting. Yeah. It's the only way you could drink it get the quick buzz she, it's not that bad schnapps is actually delicious <laughs> you don't need to hold your nose when you drink peach schnapps do you want to talk about dennis allen real quick oh girl Sweetheart. we went to visit dennis allen who lived in the woods with eileen and now lives in this house they go to this guy dennis allen's house queen for a day this man is the queeniest and he knows it like he's fully like i don't think dennis is trying to hide anything from anybody <laughs> i think dennis is very aware and comfortable and god bless him dennis and his parakeets 
Freckles and Frida. <laughs> totally. And who, who are these fine creatures? Oh, those are my birds. That's uh Freckles and Frida. Freckles and Frida. Mm-hmm. And then, like, they show a picture of him. This is a picture of Dennis, who used to be a cross-dresser. To quote Nick Broomfield, a cross-dresser. Nick Broomfield. <laughs> <laughs> Nicholas J. Broomfield. When was this movie made? Like, Nick, right. what and, year is this? That girl, everyone's like a hooker and a, and a cross-dresser and, like, come on. And Nick invented homosexuality. Remember that? <laughs> <laughs> like, what's happening? But so, like, we basically, we meet this guy because he also, I mean, like, so creepy. I know. He, like, lived in the woods with her. He talks about building a lean-to. And so Eileen would come and visit you. Yeah, every now and then she'd find one of my camps and come. In fact, the last camp I was at when Eileen found me was what we called the little round lake. Mm-hmm. It was way down at the bottom of a gully and it was round. It's just like, can you guys please take care of your children? I know. Can you please just love your kids? Okay, so can you talk to us? Okay, so now we're done with Dawn, and now we're in Michelle's car, and she's taking us on a tour of the neighborhood. So she takes us on this driving tour. Again, Nick, in the camera, in the car. I mean, <laughs> but she's literally like, we used to do drugs with Beep, and Beep over there. Beep was a druggie. Beep sold us LSD. Beep just... <laughs> dropping names and selling people out left and right and Nick has to bleep all of them because she is just doesn't give a fuck she used to do a lot of drugs with who lived in this little white one and lived right here and they were druggies also we used to hang together and go over there and smoke pot and do whatnot and And she's calling them druggies and yeah I used to party with them pills lots of pills lots of pills (laughs) But lots of different drugs. Yes. Lots of um, pills, actually. Pills. LSD, mescaline, bladder acid. Um. <laughs> the pills. Oh, my God. Lots of pills. Lots That's of Michigan pills. for you. Um, oh, and she also, like, she takes him to Aileen's actual house where she grew up. And she's like, we can't stay here too long. They'll come out and raise hell. If somebody sees us in there, they will come out and raise hell because Corey was with me. When that happened last time. She's like, it happened last time. <laughs> Michelle. <laughs> is this really like the walk down memory lane you want to take on more than one occasion? Lots of pills. <laughs> well, so this is when we find out that at age 16, um, Aileen moved to Florida looking for sun and friends. She particularly liked it here near Daytona Beach. This is one of the motels, the Fairview, where she frequently stayed. It was also new and exciting. Just down the road is the last resort biker bar where Eileen liked to hang out. She was allegedly great friends with the human bomb. Can you tell us about the human bomb? Well, uh, <laughs> it's really, it's exactly what it sounds like, you guys. He blows himself up. He literally blows himself up. In the backwoods of Florida. I mean, it could, they're, it's, they're in the woods. It's backwoods. Like, there's it's no. It's a bar in the backwoods. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, he's just laying there right. on like cinder blocks or something and just blows himself up. <laughs> No one even really reacts to it. No. Like, there's no real applause. He just, like, explodes. <laughs> and then, like, they like, take it a fire extinguisher and put him out. They run over with fire extinguishers. And then Nick immediately thinks this is the best time to really get down to the nitty gritty of his relationship with Aileen. And the guy is, you can see he's, like, cross-eyed and he's got, like, the birds flying around him, like cartoons. And Nick's like, hey, so how are you feeling? How do you feel? And then the guy's like, real dizzy right now. Oh, Nick's like, cool. So, uh, Aileen, <laughs> what uh, what can you tell me about her? You know Lee well. Yeah. And the dude's like, uh, 
Can I talk to y'all in a few minutes? I gotta walk this off. You have to walk <laughs> off being blown up. For the record, we never see him again. He went so did Nick just put that in because he's like, this is too good. I can't not. But we learn nothing from right, this person. Right, 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 right. Exactly. So we learn a couple of more things about Aileen because she went down to Florida when she was 16. So now at this point, we learn that Keith, her brother, who she may or may not have had a sexual relationship, we don't know. Yeah. He died of cancer at 21, right. which was a turning point for Aileen. And she's sort of lost and she makes some questionable decisions like marrying Louis Fell, uh-huh. who's 76 years old. Had a great job. The president of the Keystone Coal Company. But after only a month, Louis filed for restraining charges after Aileen beat Louis with his own walking stick. Beat him with his own walking stick. <laughs> it's not, I'm not laughing at the violence of it. I'm laughing at the absurdity of it. That that's a sentence that right. I just had to say out loud. It's is, so insane. Is crazy. I know. Like, I know. what did this guy do? And like, how did they meet? Like, there's. Can you imagine that it's movie? Florida. I know. <laughs> so now there's another Nick visit. Dawn told Eileen about our visit to Troy. And Eileen asked for the opportunity to put the record straight about her childhood. She's like, you know, she's going to fire her lawyer if he tries to stop the execution. She's full on like, I need to be executed. And she, this is really scary and unsettling because she's like very excitable and she's fixing her hair again. Every time she comes into a room where she's like about to be interviewed, she's like, she's in a mood that that just reminds me of that girl from um, Slenderman who was on the phone and she was like manic. Yeah. Like there's that manic like sense of like, oh my God, I'm going to see somebody from the outside world. Hey, how you doing? Good to see you. Yeah. And then, like, Nick starts asking her about, like, the facts and, you know, was it self-defense? And she, like, won't acknowledge reality in any way. And she won't. And then she starts talking about how wonderful her parents and family were, like, as if she wasn't totally abandoned and abused. Right. My dad was so straight and so clean, he wouldn't even wear take his shirt off to mow the lawn. He did not believe in cussing. He did not believe in... And uh, long hair and mini skirts and stuff. He was really straight, really decent. And so was my mom. My mom hated swearing in the house. If you swore, you said one swear word, you had a whole bar of lava soap in your mouth. So I came from a real clean and decent family. And she goes from being very excitable and very like so great to see Nick to just ranting and raving and screaming about getting that fucking warrant signed. And they're just daring me to kill again. They got me pissed. Hey, United States Supreme Court, you fucking... I'm telling you, man. You motherfuckers keep fucking with my goddamn execution. There's going to be bloodshed. I'm sick of this. Get that fucking warrant signed. So Nick, again, just as a reminder, Nick is not buying any of this. Yeah. He really believes that she is... That she did do these murders in self-defense. That she's just trying to die. And so, like, he can't help himself. He sort of, like, lets her think he's turned the tape off the recording off yeah. and and like continues the conversation like this, this hushed conversation and and she's telling him that there's no way she could have handled a life sentence they, they do crazy things to the people while they're incarcerated I'd never be able to handle it so I'm going for the death I have to because they're too evil they're too evil to people incarcerated and then they have this horrible moment where he's trying to ask her on the sly and she can't hear him I mean it's it's so absurdly sadly <laughs> comical where yeah. he's just like but was it self-defense huh was it self-defense what was it self-defense what was it self-defense yes but I can't tell anybody never 
I have to go down to the execution. So here in this moment, she acknowledges that the Mallory killing was in self-defense. And she says, yes, and there were some others. Was Mallory self-defense? And so was some others. Right. So I think this is where me and you can find some agreement, where that they weren't all in self-defense. There were definitely were some were cold-blooded murders, mm-hmm. but that it wasn't black and white or cut and dry. Like it wasn't just that she was a cold-blooded murderer or that she was a hooker who always found herself in these horrible situations and had to kill these men. Yes, absolutely. I think absolutely. this is the most honest moment we get from her in the whole movie. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not a monster and I'm not going to say like, it's ridiculous that she would need self-defense right, as, yeah, as a, yeah. a hitchhiking sex worker. Like, right, yeah. obviously, like you just have to be on the defense all the time. Yeah. So then after this interview, we see really quickly that like the the Jeb Bush has signed the death warrant and mm-hmm. the uh, the execution is scheduled for October 9th. A month before the election. Right. And that's More all part of the plan, right? Yeah. So just another we just keep hearing things that sort of go against what Aileen has been saying and not just from her. Yeah. Like she contradicts herself, but then we sit down with her mother. Her like biological mother who by the way, we haven't seen she hasn't seen her mother in 25 years or longer. Like the story is that the mother gave birth to her and then immediately abandoned the family. Right. And that's why Aileen was raised by her grandfather and grandmother. Right. So we meet her mother. Yeah. And she tells us this story about how Aileen was born a Frank Breach birth. Right. Which I had never heard of no, before. No, me either. And it's just really rare. So like regular breaches, you come out feet first, right. which is dangerous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then this this type of breach is like you come out like ass first. So you're like folded? Kind of. And she, I guess she was saying that it's so rare that they had to call, the doctor was calling other people into the room to, to see like, it. To like watch it. And a Frank Breach, bottom first, is really very bad but I thought maybe that she got some kind of brain damage during that birth and that may have caught while she's mentally competent Mm -hmm. it may have caused her problems and then she has this weird moment where she like didn't know about Aileen sleeping in the woods right she's like oh I hadn't heard that like this is clearly a mother who has no idea she was sleeping out in the snow for a while and living in the woods. She was sleeping in the snow and living in the woods. Mm-hmm. Immediately after she had the baby. I know nothing about that. I never heard Barry tell me that. Yeah, I just don't I I just don't buy the whole like she what? <laughs> she was where? Like, I don't know. I just I just find it. I don't know. The right. whole thing is just a goddamn nightmare. Ugh. Speaking of goddamn nightmares, Jeb Bush offers a stay of execution for a psych study for literally 15 minutes. Uh, we're going to um, ask uh, three psychiatrists to uh, analyze her to make sure that she's fit for the execution, which is a duty that I have and I uh, intend to do it. Jeb ordered a stay of execution, but guess what? His psychiatrist examined Eileen for just 15 minutes and then gave the thumbs up to go ahead. It's 15 <laughs> and minutes. And the psychiatrist is like, nope, she's good. Yeah. And so the execution's back on. Yeah. And so then uh, the movie gets really intense at the end. So, like, we'll go through this fast, but she wants, she, like, has the opportunity to have a final press conference and she says no. Instead, she wants Nick to come in to do her the last interview. And Nick comes in and... um. And it doesn't go great. No, it doesn't go great. So, like, at first it's very cordial. Aileen is saying to him, like... You know, I already told you everything, so 
You know, you just go ahead and ask me questions. And if I want to answer them, I'll answer them, okay? okay. And this is where we really get, like, a first row seat to yeah. her just mental instability and all these theories she has about her sonic pressure. and It's like all this crazy stuff about what she thinks they've been doing to her mm. in jail. And it's one of the reasons why she wants to die. Right. They had, they had the intercom on in the room, and they kept lying that it wasn't on, and they were using sonic pressure on my head since 1997 Sonic and pressure. every time I was trying to write something I they'd, and I, I think they had some kind of eye in the cell I'm not sure but every time I started writing something it went up higher so I'm thinking that probably had the TV rigged the TV or the mirror something was rigged and then like Nick is you know Nick again tries to get her to talk about like the cases and she won't do it. She's not having any part of that. And then she's basically screaming at him. Like they get into a real fight. What really sets her off, I think is when he says, you know, we just went and talked to your mother and she was not there for that. No, no, no. Nick tells her that the mother asked for her forgiveness. (laughs) You know how I'm always like, don't end with forgiveness. They don't. Yeah, no, 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 no. (laughs) Nope. They sure don't. Well, she, she, I don't know her. I never even knew her. She asked you for your forgiveness. She can go to hell. She didn't have any of my forgiveness. I don't know. I don't even know her. Don't even want to know her. And then, and then it just ends with her like cutting it, cutting the interview. Like she, she just is like, we're done. We're done. We're gonna have to cut this interview, Nick. I'm not going to go into any more detail. I'm leaving. I'm glad. Thanks a lot, society, for railroading my ass. Yeah. And it's kind of crazy because they do have this like decades long relationship at this point. Yeah. And then like Aileen's at the door and Nick th- does this like very awkward trying to apologize thing that kind of falls I mean, because it's the last moment. I mean, it's, such a, it's yeah. such a mind F. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. And then, you know, kind of like as the wrap up, like she has her last meal with her friend Don and then Nick picks Don up afterwards and Don is saying to him, like, she's really sorry. She Mm -hmm. wasn't giving the finger to you. Yeah. Um, So it's the day of the execution and we see the news reports leading up to the execution. And then at the very end, they come out and they have they hold a press conference to say that the execution was carried out Mm -hmm. and they they say her last words. During Eileen Warnos's brief uh, one minute final statement, uh, she alluded to the fact of that she would be sailing away with the rock. She'll be back with Jesus Christ, like on Independence Day, on June 6th, just like the movie, on the big mother ship. I'll be back, I'll be back. You guys, just a quick reminder, we're off for two weeks. Um, and, but another reminder, there is there will be a full bonus Patreon episode up this week. So it won't feel like we've been gone forever. Um, it's going to be about the Queen of Versailles. You guys, Jillian hated it. I hated this movie so much. And the episodes are always better when Jillian hates it. I Thanks. promise you, it's Thank hilarious. You. Listen, every time you text me, you're like, I hated this movie. I'm like, yes. <laughs> Well, I hated it. Um, girl, where can they find us? At True Crime Obsessed on the Twitter mm-hmm. and True Crime Obsessed.com. And that's where the Patreon link is and our episodes and our calendar. Um, you guys can find me at Patrick Hines on Twitter, at Patrick Hines underscore on the Instagram. You guys should follow me there because I'm going to be in London and I'm going to be taking a lot of awesome pictures. Fun. Yeah. Where can they find you, girl? I am at Jillian with a G and I will not be in London for these two <laughs> weeks. Girl, what are we doing in two weeks when we're back? Team Foxcatcher. Oh my God. The dilfiest, dilfiest movie on the internet. I'm really going to have to rein you in. You're going to have to focus. Already, you're going to, I already need a cold shower. They're like shirtless and in spandex the whole time. You're going to really, it's going to be really a tough recording for me, I think. (laughs) 
<laughs> um, you guys, here is the promo for Team Foxcatcher. Stay tuned for our ridiculous outtakes. And you guys, this week's palate cleanser is going to be from a little movie called Hocus Pocus. Bye! Bye! John E. DuPont, an heir to the DuPont family fortune, lives here on the sprawling estate his family has called home for generations. Team Foxcatcher is all part of John DuPont's plan to support many athletes in their pursuit of Olympic glory. Most of your athletes, if they do it instinctively, they'll get right. And score their opponent. They built this million-dollar wrestling facility. It was amazing. John was this wealthy man, and then he was also like a scared kid that never really had a childhood. John started inviting individuals to come live in the houses and paid them a salary to be on his team. You could see that. He wanted to be one of the guys. The Eagles score high. David Schultz, a wealth of experience out there on the mat. I want to be the world champion in 91 and the Olympic champion in 92, and then I want to quit. <laughs> Before all my hair falls out. Dave just thought it was an unbelievable idea. These families and athletes, there truly was a sports utopia. Things just started going south real quick. Who's that coming out of there? Oh, it's the dog. John observed how people did gravitate towards Dave. I think that's got to John a little bit. John became super paranoid. I knew that he was doing cocaine because he wouldn't sleep. He would videotape the woods. Look at this. You see something there. Everyone was just kind of pacifying the guy because he was good for the sport. Dave genuinely liked John and tried to help him. Dave Schultz was the truest friend John had. Kill them all! <laughs> There's just no reason to live in an environment like that. Dave should have got out of there. John loved Dave, and then Dave became his demon that was after him. Please fire an ambulance. Oh, man, please, oh, God, please hurry. It'll be like a full on Lin Manuel Miranda rap. Oh, great. <laughs> Is he here? He is in your closet. He's coming. He's just, it's like that guy will never leave. It's just, you know, with he's him. nice about it. He's nice, that's but the it's thing like, that's Lynn, hard about it. I know, I know. Like, I know. he's so nice, but he's like as needy as he is nice. But, Lynn, you have to let us have lives at this point. I mean, you talented, talented genius. And you're right. He does like sound like so annoyed, but you know this is like the best day of his life. Eileen called me <laughs> and asked if I'd come to the prison with my cameras. <sighs> so I went to the prison. You can't just pray a wolf into existence. Because if you can, I would have done it already. But they're breeding like... <laughs> Um, what what is she trying to say here? She's just you know serial killers are into that thrill kill jazz. Right. <laughs> she was into the Robin biz. <laughs> yeah. Because now Aileen is talking about she can't die in the execution as a lawyer. She has to come clean and cleanse in the as spirit of Jesus Christ as a liar. <laughs> what if Aileen died in the execution chamber as a lawyer? Why do I keep doing that <laughs> for the outtakes? For the outtakes. <laughs> And then we learn about Tyra, mm. like her great love. Well, I sent you a screenshot of yes. with the captions where it was like, you know, the voiceover is always in italics. Yeah. And so it was Nick's voiceover being like, her great love, Tyra. And then it was Tyra on the stand, like hunched over. We met at a bar. Yeah. <laughs>
know. <laughs> Florida, Florida. Florida, no rules. Yeah. And except that they, you have to kill people. That's the only rule in Florida. And Do we have any listeners in Florida? <laughs> you guys come hang with us I in know. New York. <laughs> Hello, Taylor. Show. Cover your ears. I put a bell on.